And yet I think it's really good news to hear about this one, who is eternal. Because think about that. If we really are a passing vapor, if we were missed here today, gone tomorrow, then that means that everything around us and everything within us is slowly moving away, passing away. Everything in our life is changing from day to day. Every cell in your body right now is deteriorating. You don't know when finances are going to change in your life. You don't know when relationships are going to shift. You don't know when circumstances are going to change. You as a human being require time to grow and to learn. You're getting older right now. I realized this when I was playing with my kids this week and I threw my back out just trying to play with them on the ground. I was very disappointed by that. I'm only 35. (laughs) But here's a question for you. What do you hold on to throughout all of those things? When your life is moving up and down and side to side and everything's changing and everything's passing away and in any given moment, you don't know what's next. And you don't even really fully understand everything that's gone behind. What do you depend on? What can you rest in throughout that storm and that chaos? Yourself? Think about this. If you think to yourself 10 years ago, and you think about the kinds of decisions you made and the kind of person you are, are you a big fan of who you were 10 years ago? Or do you think there was some stuff that that person needed to learn? Imagine this, 10 years from now, do you think that the 10-year future version of yourself is going to look back on you now and say, yes, they had it all together, they knew everything, they got it all right? (laughs) So how can we lean on ourselves when we don't even know where we're headed, we don't even fully understand what's gone behind? But the Bible has really good news because it tells us about a God who's eternal. It tells us that even though we operate on limited perspective, limited understanding, limited strength and capability, there is one who is not bound by such limitations. You and I, we need an anchor that's eternal. We desperately need one who can hold on to us in the midst of the storms of life. And the good news of Genesis 1-1 is that God is by his very nature an anchor for every passing vapor and every passing mist. You will never understand yourself until you seek to know him and you'll never understand the meaning of your existence until you've sought to know him. But God isn't just eternal, he is all-powerful. He's a God who's all-powerful. Genesis 1-3, as we continue to read this story of God, says, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks creation into being. Reminds me of when I'm in my house with my kids, and when I speak, everything that I want happens right there and then. (laughs) Right? No. No. In fact, every time I'm with my kids and there's something that I speak, it is a reminder of who I am and who God is not because I can't just speak and have my life organized the way that I want. I can't speak things into creation. My voice is absolutely limited. My will is limited. My desire is limited, but God is without limits. He is all-powerful. In every sense, God's voice orders everything that is. We see even in the New Testament when Jesus, who is God in the flesh, come to walk amongst us, he's on a boat with his disciples. And in Matthew 8, we hear this story of a storm that rises up and they are terrified for their lives because the boat is being rocked back and forth. It's going to sink. They're going to die. And Jesus gets up, speaks to the waves, and with one word, silences them. This is Matthew 8, verses 26 through 27. He said to them, why are you afraid or you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was great calm. 
And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Jesus, in that story, is reminding us of the God who speaks to creation. And it listens. It's good news that God's voice has unimaginable power. And even that story of Jesus is a reminder to us, it is a lesson to us, that he can handle the pain and the distress and the confusion and the struggle of your life because when he speaks to things, it changes. He brings peace. He brings order. He brings hope. He can speak into your life. When we read Genesis 1, when we read these verses of a God who speaks creation into being, you should, in your heart and your soul, long for that voice to speak to you. When you see what he can do, bringing light into darkness, every time that God speaks, beauty and goodness follow. The other thing that we see in Genesis 1 that helps us think about the power of God's voice is not only that when he speaks, things happen, but that he requires nothing in advance. Theologians call this creato ex nihilo. It means to create out of nothingness. And there's a Hebrew word for create that's used in Genesis 1, bara. And bara is only ever used to reference God's creation. There's many times in scripture where people create things, but only God creates bara without anything in advance. I want to demonstrate this to you this morning. I want you to close your eyes real quick. I want you to create for me a brand new shape. In your mind, just think of a brand new original shape. Now open your eyes. As soon as I asked you to do that, what did your head fill with images of? Existing shapes. You think of a triangle, think, okay, I've got to change a triangle a little bit and make it into something new. Or maybe a circle popped in or a square. But in order to even start thinking about the question of creation, you have to think about everything that already exists because that's the only thing you can use to create. When a carpenter creates a table, he needs wood. When a shipbuilder is trying to create that, he needs steel. He needs to create rivets. He has to have some kind of raw material, but God requires no raw material. It, it kind of hurts our brain to even consider, but there was nothing in existence when God spoke. It wasn't like there was a pre-existing idea of light, and he said, oh, I like that. We should have some of that. It was completely his idea. There was nothing to reference. There was nothing to pull from completely out of nothingness. And why is that important for you? Why should we think about that great, lofty, theological idea? It's because you need to know that God requires nothing from you to work in your life. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't need your togetherness. He doesn't need your tidiness or holiness. He needs nothing. And that's good news for you means no matter where you are, God can do something with you. God wants to do something with you. It means salvation. It means hope. It means joy and beauty. If you started 2023 thinking, what do I need to bring to the table this year for God to work with? What do I need to get in order in my life so that God can come and do the things that I need him to do? The answer is nothing. It needs nothing from you. The most important thing you could ever understand about God is that he moves in grace without requirement for you, operating solely on his own goodness, his own power, his own majesty. Last piece of good news we read about the who of Genesis is about a God who's intentional. He is eternal, he's all-powerful, but he's also intentional. 
Read with me the first three days of creation, Genesis 1, verses 3 through 13. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. It was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its own kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. So much happening there. So many images, so many ideas. But every single one of them is telling us one thing. God is intentional. God is intentional. Creation is not chaos, it's design. And we're going to explore this a little bit more next week when we talk about the next three days of creation, four, five, and six. John Dixon mentioned this last week. What he described this as is God is almost preparing canvases to paint on. He creates the space that he's going to fill in days four, five, and six. And the first day he creates light. Hasn't created the sun and the moon yet and the stars yet. Don't get caught up in the science of that. Look at how God is preparing creation. He's intentional. He's setting the scene. The next day he creates the, uh, the, the heavens. When we get to next week, we're going to find out that he's going to fill the heavens with life. The beds of the earth. Then the last of the, those first three days, he creates the earth itself. He creates vegetation. He creates all the things that he's then going to fill later with animals and with us. Everything that God is doing in these first three days are preparing the scene for something. He is intending something. This is something that many Christian apologists have picked up on. It's called the teleological argument. When people talk about how do we know there's a God, how do we know that there's something by creation, we simply look at everything around us and see that everything around us, it has somewhat of a design to it. It would take far too long to explain all of them, but I want to point out just a few of them so you can understand why we can say that this is true. Right now, our earth is spinning at a certain speed, and there are physical rules about the universe that allow that to happen without us flying off the planet. The distance of our planet away from the sun is such that it gets described by scientists as the Goldilocks zone. It is down to incredible preciseness, a perfect distance from the sun and not too far away from the sun such that life can exist here, that our, our oceans don't vaporize. The chem chemical composition of our atmosphere is such that we are protected from solar radiation and all kinds of hazards in space. Even the planets in our solar system, did you know that Jupiter is so large that its mass is so incredible that its gravitational force actually shields Earth from various asteroids and meteors that fly through our solar system. They're all bent in the direction of Jupiter instead of us. 
I mean, we can go on and on and on. Scientists over the decades and centuries have again and again discovered fine-tuning and design to our creation that at the very least begs the question, is there someone behind all this? And the Bible says yes. There is an intention to creation. There is a reason it is the way that it is. And what it also means is that God is intentional in how he shapes your life and how he puts you together. He shapes the world around you for your good so that he can bring about his good design. And I know that the immediate question from that is like, well, what about my brokenness and my pain? What about the disorganization and the chaos of my life? Did he shape that as well? I don't really have a good answer for that. I don't know why the different things that happen to us happen. But I do know this, is that what the enemy intends for evil, God will use for good. I do know that no matter what the chaos, when God's voice speaks to it, he can shape it, he can mold it, it can make it into something beautiful for you. That wherever God speaks, his intention is present to draw us towards him, to know him better, to discover his grace and his mercy and his love. God is organizing you. He is preparing you. Everything he has ever spoken to you is for the intention of molding you into the image of his son so that you would know him better. Do you believe that every chapter of your story is progressively leading you deeper into who God is? Even the painful moments? Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion because he has intention for you. God is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is intentional. But that's not the only good news that Genesis offers us. It doesn't just offer us the good news of who, it offers us the good news of why. Why would the God who is eternal and all-powerful and intentional create? We always ask of Genesis, how did he do this? But don't often ask why. This week we were talking about this as pastors, about this question of why, and Pastor Stanley had this beautiful, brilliant analogy of a love letter. Let me put it to you this way. If you got home and your spouse, your significant other had given you a love letter, would you pick that love letter up and say, well, when did you write this? What pen did you use? What kind of paper is this? Why did you use that analogy? You you wouldn't ask those questions, would you? All you would see is the love, that there is one who deeply loves you and wants to point that out, wants to illustrate that, wants you to see it. Sometimes we find ourselves getting caught up in questions of, well, what pen did you use, God? What kind of paper? When did you write this letter to us? And when we do that, we miss the message for the details. And don't you see the tragedy of that? See the tragedy of us not seeing his great love, how devoted, how faithful, how wonderful this God is, that he would create it all? Why would he do that? I got home from uh, work the other day, and there were little beads like this all over the floor. What was the immediate question that came into my heart? Why? Why is the beads all over the floor? I didn't come in and say, well, how did these beads get here? I didn't say, well, how long have they been on the floor? I would say, why? And what I discovered is my little gal had been making me a little bracelet. You think I cared about the beads on the floor after that? Let's get the bracelet on right now. I want you to see that. I want you to see in all the details and all the pictures and all the imagery, there's lots of questions that can be asked, but I want you to see the why, that there's a God who loves you. Why did he do this? First, because God is relational. 
I would say it's a fairly common idea that a lot of people struggle with. Well, saying, well, why did God do this? Was he bored? Was he up in the heavens and just kind of the Trinity was kind of bored of each other? So said, we should probably make someone else so that we don't get sick of each other. No. That's a deeply unchristian idea. Companionship was not something that eluded God because God has always been a trinity of perfect relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity existing in loving, intimate communion. You can even see in Genesis 1. Go to Genesis 1, the first three verses. This is what we read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, if you were paying attention, you can say, okay, I see God, I see the Spirit. Where's the Son? Where's Jesus? Is that really a complete trinity? The Gospel of John will help you find him. This is the opening verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's Gospel is a really good book to read for a lot of reasons. And one of the main ones is that John's Gospel is very good at explaining everything that has come before in the story of Scripture. Gives you a lens to understand what everything meant, what it was really about. It's actually in John's Gospel that after Jesus' resurrection, he explains to his disciples how everything that had happened was always pointing towards him. And it starts on the very first page of John's gospel because John is using intentionally the language of Genesis 1 to make a point. I want to point out the similarities. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. First lines in John's gospel is, in the beginning was the word. For a Hebrew reading this, he did that on purpose. He's choosing those exact words purposefully. In Genesis, it says, God creates the heavens and the earth. John says, through him all things were made. Genesis says, God said, let there be light. And John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. God speaks the world into being. Jesus is the word of God. Genesis says, God created light. And John says, it was Christ's life that became that light. John's point is that Jesus was there at creation. The whole act of creation was of a triune God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because it means that God is by nature relational. Because with him exists Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means he was not lonely. He was not bored. He existed in perfect relationship, perfect delight. It is unfathomable to us that for eternity past, without beginning, the Father, Son, and Spirit loved one another with total perfection. So then why would he create? If God has no need within himself... Logically follows the only reason he would create is not to get something, but to share something. That perfect relationship, the joy of that, the delight of that, he wanted to share that. He wanted to invite more into that. Think of it this way. What's the ideal circumstances in which God has designed us to have children? In loving relationship. Hopefully, we don't have our kids out of need. We're not bored with each other and say, quick, let's have a kid. In fact, I know a couple of couples who definitely don't do it that way. We do it because we love one another and we want to share. We want to expand our family. We want to grow. We want more to know that love that we found. Families love one another. And so through either pregnancy or adoption, they invite more into that. 
the same with God. Creation was God's invitation for us to come and share and experience the relationship that already existed in him. Because he wanted more to know that. Justin Dillahay says, you and I aren't the result of some man-shaped hole in the father's heart. Rather, you and I represent the overflow of the father's eternal love for his son. As though the father had said, son, this love of ours is just so good, we can't keep it to ourselves. And that reveals the second reason that Genesis is good news about why. Because relationship reveals love. It reveals deep love. God is love. Genesis 1 is screaming at you, God is love. See, gifts, sharing things, it only reveals love. It's the reason we share. It's the reason we give. That's why John writes in one of his New Testament letters, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John's telling us that God's very nature is to be loving. Again, he's not saying there was some preconceived idea of love that God favored and he wanted to be a part of that. He's saying that within God eternally existed what we now understand as love. He shared that with us. Every idea you've ever had from, of, about love has come from him. It's an echo of who he is. Tim Challey is one of my favorite pastors. He says this, God did not create the world in order to become loving. Rather, he created because he is loving. If we're ever going to reflect God's heart to a hurting world, we must start with this basic truth. God is love. And since he creates the physical world out of his triune love, he doesn't reluctantly love the goldfish or the clouds or the mountains and the elephants. He does so freely and joyfully. And similarly, and this is very important, no one has to convince God to look with compassion on a hurting child or a homeless person. God loves each and every one of us as his creations. And because the loving creator loves all his creatures, it makes sense that we should too. Good news of Genesis is that God is engaged in the act of creation to share his great love. If you're seeking meaning to your life, if you are trying to understand why you are, that God would create something out of nothing, it's for this reason, so that you would enter into the eternal relationship of joy and delight that has always and forever existed within him. It is an invitation. That's his gift to you. And every single atom of his creative work is proclaiming it to you, is telling it you. That's why the psalmist says, day to day the heavens cry out the glory of God, his great love. And I hope this morning that you see the beauty of this Genesis account. So much richer than sometimes we give it credit for. And friends, we would be doing a disservice to ourselves if this morning we didn't see this as well. But the greatest beauty of God is that even though you and I have rejected that invitation, even though you and I are often willfully ignorant of the beauty around us, even as we have sought to twist creation into something that serves us instead of him, and as we have sought to dethrone God and place ourselves at the center of creation's story, 
and we have rejected and we have harmed our brothers and sisters, those who are created in God's image, those that proclaim God's love that we have not reflected. That same God who spoke everything into existence stepped closer still by entering into creation. Philippians tells us that he laid aside his majesty, took on the form of a servant to come and resubmit the invitation. Same God who spoke everything into existence. The life that was in him became the light of men and dwelt among us and invited us to come and share, to come and know, to return to the one who desires to be in relationship with us. Jesus Christ is God himself pointing you back to what creation was already pointing at. You will never be closer to the true meaning of your life than when you are looking at the one who is inviting you to share in his love. You'll never be closer to the true meaning of your life and your existence than when you are seeking to know the God of Genesis. You don't need to bring anything to the table for him to work with. You don't need to put yourself together. You don't even need to know what's next. All you need to come with is a humble heart that says, in the beginning was God. He was great. He was loving. He's inviting you to know him. Let me pray for us as we close this morning. Father, thank you for the great joy and delight of this invitation that you have issued to us in creation to know you as the God who is eternal, who is all-powerful, who is intentional, who desires to speak into our lives and bring light in darkness and hope in hopelessness. Father, help us to see the why, to not miss the message for the details, but to understand, God, you are calling our name to come to you. Father, I pray for all of us here in this place this morning. Whatever hesitation exists in our heart, We've taken the next step of faith to move towards you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in us, that you would speak to us. I pray that your voice would speak to your children in this place and call them home to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. His name is worthy because he invites us to know him, to share in his love. Is there any way that we can be praying for you at the end of our services? We always want to make time for that. We have a prayer team can come up. I would pray with you. Some of our volunteers will pray with you. Please, if there is a longing in your heart to know this God more, don't miss this invitation and this opportunity to know him. And walk with that together as family. And for the rest of you, I want to invite you as well. Don't let church end because the music and the sermon's finished. We have space open here. And the reason we do that is because we want to know one another. We want to share in life. Say hi to someone next to you. Get to know them. That's part of what God has called us to do. If you're new with us as well, we have a gift for you at our welcome desk. Please stop by. I'm glad that you joined us for worship. It was a good day to be together. But now let me offer this benediction. Would you pray it with me? May we go in the name of the one who in the beginning was there. Eternal, all-powerful, intentional. God, may we see you on every page. May we know you. And may we follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we go. Amen. God bless.